It's going to be interesting to see whether I can get through this this morning. Dropping the notes, not turning the microphone on. Is it old age? Is it one of those senior moments? Acts chapter 28. And I'm going to give you a little bit of, I'm going to have a prayer, and then we're going to give, give you a little bit of context because some of you have not been listening to this series. So you're going to be at a disadvantage. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and then we're going to jump into chapter 28, verse 15. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your word this morning, please send the Holy Spirit. He is the one that can convict us of truth. He is the one who can take truth and show us how to apply that to our lives. We seem to really struggle to know how to do that at times, Lord. But your Spirit can do that. So we invite and we covered his presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, very quickly, in two minutes, we'll give you the background to the book of Acts. It had always been the desire, which I believe God had planted in the heart of Paul, to go to Rome. Rome was the capital of the empire at that time. The Romans ruled the pretty much the then known world. And most of us here know that he, Paul wrote a, a letter to the church members in Rome, which we call the Book of Romans. So he had this desire in his heart to go, and many times he expressed that, but he never dreamed that he would go the way he's going to Rome, which is as what? A prisoner, a prisoner to Rome. We have seen him being tried a number of times. Nobody could have any charges that they could really, that would stick, and this man should have been set free. But instead, we find him basically under coming to Rome as a prisoner and is going to be placed under house arrest. He's going to be under house arrest, which would give him quite a bit of freedom to preach the gospel for two years. So two years, long time, for these Jews to get their, their charges together and come, and come and accuse him again. Two years. And then we believe, though it doesn't specifically say it in the book of Acts, then we believe he was set free. And he continued his ministry. Um, and then eventually, and we'll deal with this, that, this point next week, eventually was rearrested and came before Nero, and it looked really, really bad for Paul. So we'll deal with that part next week. So in Acts chapter 28, beginning at verse 15, we find him arriving in Rome. He says, the brothers, that's the church members in Rome, there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius, and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. You remember, we kind of ended on that note last week. This has been a terrible time for him with the crowd trying to tear him apart, with the trials that he's been through, with the shipwreck, Satan throwing everything at this man. And yet somehow, some, he's like a cork on the ocean just popping to the top, and somehow, some way, he's surviving. And he thanks God, and he is encouraged when he meets the brethren. 
Any of you come to church this morning and when you arrived here, you said, thank God. And you were actually encouraged and said, oh no, not Sister Florence. I think I'll sit on the other end of the pew. You were actually encouraged that John was back from his ministry or that Tammy was here today or whatever. Do you enjoy being with the brethren? By the way, that is one of the evidences that you're probably a Christian. If you hate the brethren, even though some of them can be quite obnoxious at times, present company accepted, but if you hate the brethren, you're probably not converted. So that is one of the signs, I think. Paul, for whatever reasons, thanked God and was encouraged. And when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to do what? To guard him, so he probably was chained to this soldier. All right, let's try and sort out this mess here. So, because he was chained to a soldier and because he had uh, this house arrest, he would have freedom to preach the gospel, which is very, very important. He wants to do that. He is desperate to do that. And the amazing thing is, one of the things we're going to learn this morning is that Paul could possibly have, if this is hard to believe, now you have to really listen carefully. You're listening, Don, really carefully? Paul may have had a more powerful ministry as a prisoner than he did when he was free. Now that's debatable, I know. But we're going to see this morning some amazing things that God did while this man was in shackles. And it's going to remind me that whatever circumstances we are in, if we passed the microphone around this church this morning, we would find some heavy hearts. Right? Some of you have loved ones who are really, really sick. Perhaps some of you have lost a job or are finding, finding work hard to get, um, maybe have sickness in your body, we would be amazed, even in a small congregation like this, the hurts that people carry. And yet somehow, no matter what our circumstances are, if we remember what we spoke about last week, there can be purpose to our lives, there can be a plan for our lives, there can be clear direction for our lives, even in terrible situation like Paul has been in. Wouldn't you and I probably have thrown the towel in a lot earlier if some of these things had been thrown at us that were thrown at Paul? And, and because of his life of, of consecration, of holiness, many, many people through his sufferings, he says in his writings, many doors were opened. So whatever your situation, be it one of age, you're not able to do the ministries that you used to do before, 
don't be discouraged. Be encouraged by this situation with Paul that despite his terrible sufferings, he is able to do amazing things still for God. Three days later, we, he calls together the leaders of the Jews, and when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. So this is giving you some of the background here, very briefly. Most of you who have heard this series know what actually happened. He would appear before Felix, the Ro Roman uh, leader. He would appear before uh, Agrippa. He would appear before Festus and other people. Many charges were thrown at him, but none of them, as I said earlier, stuck. None of them could be verified. And if there were, were, were not political ramifications for his arrest, he should clearly have been set free a long time ago. Eventually, he had to appear, he appealed to Caesar, because it looked like they were getting ready to ship him back to Jerusalem, where he would have had no chance with the Jews. They just wanted to rid this man uh, off the earth. So he appealed to Caesar, so now he's traveling with these Roman soldiers, and is going to eventually appear to Caesar. So, these Jewish leaders in Rome, he wants to do some explaining to them before his enemies come and do their explaining. He says in verse 18, they examined me, they wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people, for this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you, and it is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So if you're into marking your Bibles, not the ones in the pews, but your own, hope of Israel is a key phrase. It's not the first time we've come across it. We came across it in chapter 26. I wonder what he ha Paul had in mind when he says the hope of Israel. Could he mean that the whole Old Testament, which was the only Bible, by the way, that they had at this period in time, the New Testament wasn't put together until some years later, that the Bible that they had, the Old Testament, which is sometimes called the law and the writings and the prophets, that all of this really did point to Jesus Christ. Now, you would think very careful Jewish Bible scholars would see that. Some saw it, many didn't. Still the same today. There's many Jews today who are well-educated, who are very knowledgeable, who write books on the Bible, on the Old Testament, who are well-respected within their fields. Maybe they're experts in, in Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew language, Hebrew tradition, Hebrew culture, and yet they still do not see Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Christians do. That is 
why we call, one of the reasons why we call ourselves Christians. We're following Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who said that all Scripture testifies of who? Of Him, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want your faith to be strengthened, then it would be good to go through the Old Testament. And there's many tools out there that can help you to do that. And look at some of the passages. Go to, to a passage like Isaiah 53 and see the suffering servant there. Now, how would the Jews deal with that in the first century? The Jewish Christians, people like Paul, would immediately apply it to Jesus Christ. The Jewish people themselves would apply it to the nation of Israel. Read Isaiah 53. Would you see the nation of Israel, or would you see the Lord Jesus Christ? So the Apostle Paul probably had many of these Bible texts in his head, because you're not just going to be unrolling the scrolls when you're giving these explanations all the time. That would be pretty difficult to do that. So you're either going to write them down, or you're going to put them into your memory bank. I wonder, in this church family, how much we have stored up here. Because when push comes to shove, and when you're put on the spot, you need something up here. Now, some of you have said to me, Pastor, I have a really hard time memorizing Scripture. Anyone have a hard time memorizing Scripture? All right, that's quite a few of us. So you've got to have a method you can't just write it on your shirt sleeve. Your wife won't appreciate that. You've got to have some way of having some of these texts easily accessible. Write it in your Bible. Some of us have marked our Bibles up. Uh, problem is then you suddenly lose that Bible. So you've got to have some method of being able to, to f uh, understand which text they're talking about and showing that it does apply. When Jesus says, all Scripture testifies of me, well, where, what, what, where is he talking about? Is he talking about Zechariah? Is he talking about Isaiah? Where Have some of these written down. Have them in your memory so that they are helpful when you need them. So the hope of Israel, a key phrase. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Now, if there's one thing that we don't like as Christians, doesn't matter whether we're Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalians, Lutheran, Seventh-day Adventist, it doesn't matter. We don't like to be called a sect, right? Anybody like to be called a sect? Well, Christianity in its infancy was called a sect. And it's important to think of, well, how was it a sect? Was, it, was Christianity, in the early part of the first century or mid-first mid century, was it separate from Judaism? I mean, did it realize the mistakes of Judaism, for example, and totally form a new organization or was it a fulfillment of Judaism? Now to Paul, it was clearly a fulfillment of Judaism. He felt he had nothing to apologize for 
all the scriptures pointed forward to the Messiah, who was the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and his mind was very clear and very much made up on that. But remember that this was the man that opposed Christianity. This was the man that would round Christians up and execute their parents and separate children. Hopefully they didn't execute the children, though I know that when, when Nero accused the Christians, uh, children did die in the Colosseum as well, as well as parents. So this was the man that was the great enemy of the church. So highly educated, very knowledgeable about the law and scripture and so on and so forth, but did not have that spiritual understanding to see that Jesus Christ really was the fulfillment. And of course, as we know his story on the road to Damascus, that's when he met the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory and he was turned around and he became a strong, strong believer in who are you, Lord, he said. I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting through these Christians. So he became the great follower, and God, in his mercy, made the enemy of the church the great champion of the church. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that just the grace of God right there? Isn't that all the grace of God? That he can take the worst, the worst enemy of truth and turn them into the champion of truth. And that's what he's done with each one of us. While we were dead in sin, while we were ungodly, God died for us in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only hope. We talk about the hope of Israel. This is the only hope that any of us have. We're all miserable sinners, no matter how goody two-shoes we really think we are. We're all miserable sinners. Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, said his righteousness was what? filthy rags. Doesn't get much worse than that. But God in His mercy had mercy towards Paul, in fact, had mercy towards the whole human race so that every one of us has a chance, an opportunity to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and have eternal life. All right. They say, we've not received any letters, but we want to know about this sect. They arranged, verse 23, to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. So now we're starting to see the place where he was staying. Let's assume it was a house, condo, apartment, mobile home. I don't know what it was, but he had a roof over his head. Either somebody was putting him up or he was renting it and it became an evangelistic center. Now, I would love this church to become an evangelistic center, but I would love your homes to become evangelistic centers even more. More so than this building, your homes as evangelistic centers. We've talked in the past about the importance of house churches. Well, here we're seeing it in a kind of roundabout way. Here's this prisoner, and people are flocking to his home. So let's see what happens. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them two things. Number one, the kingdom of God. You see that? And two, he tried to convince them about Jesus. So kingdom of God and Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That's just a way of saying 
the Old Testament. Sometimes Jesus would talk about the law, the writings, and the prophets. They had different terms for that, but it was the Bible of their day. So Paul, from morning till evening, that's quite a long Bible study, or series of Bible studies, is trying to show that Jesus fulfilled Scripture. It's one thing for Jesus to say it. It's another thing for us to prove it, to show the evidence for it. There really is no proving. We just show the evidence. And we hope that the evidence is strong enough with the work of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives to convince them that something is true. Kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, most people would think of Jesus, if they knew anything about him, as a criminal. Because crucifixion was the punishment for a criminal. Was Jesus a criminal? Even though Jesus took the sins of the world on him, he wasn't a criminal. He was an innocent man. But he was perceived, he was thought of by many Jewish or non-Jewish as a criminal. Someone who had broken the law and deserved to die. So it's very important to do some explaining on Jesus. Now we live in a day and age where we need to do a lot of explaining on Jesus because there are so many different pictures of Jesus. Any of you seen the movie Passion, Passion of uh, the Christ, was it called? Mel Gibson's movie? Pretty grotesque in many respects. Uh, it tended to emphasize the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you could be an unbeliever and see that movie and still be touched. I'm not saying that you're necessarily gonna be converted, but you could be touched that this guy is, is, is innocent, and yet he is made to suffer at the hands of, of men in such a horrible way. And the Bible does talk about the sufferings of Christ. It also talks about, by the way, the sufferings of, of Paul. Paul is, is a type of Christ. And in, in there's many parallels between Jesus' trials and Paul's trials, Jesus' sufferings and Paul's sufferings. So lots of explaining needed on the Lord Jesus Christ and what God is up to. What is the plan? What is the purpose? People read the Bible, they read the Old Testament. I know people that read the Old Testament and they never read it again. When I used to sell religious books from door to door as a student to work my way through college, I remember one gentleman, very sincere, he said he would have bought the whole set, but he says, I will not buy the six-volume, I think it was six-volume Old Testament um, Bible story of, of Arthur Maxwell. He would not buy the Old Testament. He would only have his children read the New Testament. So, even very sincere people can be uh, really unhappy. And of course, some of the great critics of in our day and age of Christianity, people like uh, Hitchens, the Englishman, Dawkins, and um, Sam Harris and others, they will talk about the, the horrible God of the Old Testament. Sometimes you need to get on the internet, watch some of those debates. You'll learn, you'll learn a lot, the way that our, our critics uh, look at things, the way that people see things in different ways. Some were convinced by what Paul said. Praise God for that. 
Some, I don't know how many, but some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. So here's the old, old story. The good news of Jesus is shared. Probably wouldn't get many people that could explain it better than Paul. He certainly would be right at the top of my list as preacher and Bible teacher. But some didn't believe, some did. Just the same today, right? Hopefully everybody in this room is believing this morning, but probably not the case. Some of you will be unsure, some of you will not be convinced. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit on the human heart. They disagreed among themselves. They began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. Now, ask yourself whether you would be bold enough to say this to your Bible audience. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to our forefathers when He said, through Isaiah the prophet, this is in chapter 6 of Isaiah, if you want to turn to that as I'm sharing these verses. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become what? Calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And then what would God do? Heal them. Turning is what we call repentance. That's what it means. It means you're going in the wrong direction. You turn and go in the right direction. There, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. There are people out there in the first century and today who will listen. Do you believe that? I tell you, at times it's hard to believe it. And if you get discouraged about how few seem to respond in this day and age to the truths of Scripture, then maybe you can be encouraged by this passage because there was a, the mass of, of the population on planet Earth was non-Jewish. So it couldn't all be about the Jews and just them getting saved. Everybody else has to have an opportunity too. And God used somebody like Paul to do that, and he did it even as a prisoner. In Isaiah chapter 6, I'll just look at this real quick. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seating on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Two wings, they covered their faces. Two, they covered their feet. Two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another. And here's the good news. Here's the message of this angelic ministry. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, says Isaiah. I am ruined. Now, this is one of the greatest of the prophets we're talking about now. Listen to his response. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's good to realize that you're a sinner. It's good to realize that you do not have righteousness of your own, no matter how good you are. 
No matter how hard you try, no matter how many people you help, you'll never had enough credits to get in the kingdom. Woe to me, he says, I am ruined. And then the good news is, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, verse 6, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Here's salvation now. Here's forgiveness. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice from the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will go and give this true picture of God? A God who forgives, a God who takes away our guilt, a God who can touch us in a moment of time, and we can be totally transformed. Paul was transformed. Isaiah was transformed. Have you been transformed? I've been transformed, and I'm being transformed into His glory from day to day. We all need to… So what Jesus meant when He taught to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, this good Jewish teacher, sincere man, Nicodemus, even you must be born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus said? It's the work of God. Go tell these people, and here's the verses that Paul quoted, be ever hearing, never understanding, and so on and so forth. Now, this passage here from Isaiah 6 is quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 13. It's quoted by John in chapter 11 of John, and here we see it quoted by Paul. Obviously, it's an important verse or verses. And when people don't get saved, it's they who are rejecting God. And when people do get saved, it's God who's saving them. There's a tension here that we all need to at least think about, not necessarily understand. The preacher gives his message. That's really important factor. How can they hear without a preacher? Isaiah's going to be the preacher here. Paul is the preacher in the book of Acts. You could be the preacher. I could be the preacher. So they need, need to hear the message, right, to get saved. They need to make a decision to get saved, right, and yet, the emphasis is on God doing the saving. It seems that there's conflict there. It seems that there's tension. It seems that there are mysteries. There are mysteries, and there are. I'm amazed that any of us get saved, quite honestly. It is an amazing miracle. Somebody who is dead in sin. How much do the dead know? We say the dead know nothing. It's what the Scriptures teach. Well, spiritually, we are all dead in sin until we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called ungodly. We're called an enemy. We're called sinners, right? So how can you take someone that is dead spiritually and raise them to life spiritually? Obviously, it's the power of God that does that. But pastor, don't we make choices? Yes, we do. I don't understand, Pastor, neither do I. Do I need to understand? No, I don't. I can still believe without understanding. And more importantly, much more importantly, I can experience this transformation. And everybody in this church, anybody who's going to be a leader in this church, 
Anybody who's going to do any ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be converted. Otherwise, we'll have nothing but conflict. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. If we're going to move in the same direction as a church family, that has to be God's direction. It has to be a spiritual direction that can honor the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gentiles will listen. That's good news. For two whole years, Paul stayed there. Verse 30 of Acts 28, in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God, there we have it again, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he do it? He did it boldly. Yes, there's an apologetic here, but he's not doing it in an apologetic way. He's doing it with confidence. Paul knows that these truths are the most certain things. What is certain in life? What would you say is certain in life? <laughs> okay, death. Well, that's not certain for those that get translated when Jesus comes. But yeah, that's a pretty good guess. Uh, death. Taxes? Well, it's, a lot of the rich get around the taxes, don't they? Is there anything really certain in this world? What about the theory of gravity? Is that certain? Are the scientists' theories certain? Would you stake your life on what Dawkins and, and Sam Harris and the critics say? Or would you stake your life on the Word of God? If the Word of God has led you to the Lord Jesus Christ and you've had an experience with Him where you've moved from death to life, that is as certain as anything can be. The Word of God is dependable, is certain, is what I would stake my life on that the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, is the Savior of the world, not just a good man, not just a kind, compassionate man, but came to save your sins and my sins. Do you believe that? And have you experienced that? And if you have, then you, like Isaiah, can say, here I am. Who will go? Someone's got to go. But the ones who need to go are everybody in this room who has been transformed by the Spirit of God. We are the ones. We're available, right? If we're not available, what are we doing here this morning? What's it all about? It's not about being entertained, is it? Isn't it about being missionaries in our community? See, that's, that's the image that I would like our church to get get into our heads. We are a missionary entity. We're not hung up about offices. We're not hung up about titles. We're into ministries. We are missionaries doing ministry in our community. Now, yes, like those ants, or those bees rather, we have sometimes different types of ministries 
But if we're all faithful doing what God has called us to do, and there can only be one queen bee, by the way, and that isn't me. If you want to make the queen bee anybody, that's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. But if we all have these different roles and we can all learn to work together and have this clear vision, this strategy, which we will need to work out under the unction of the Holy Spirit on how to impact our community. And if every Christian church was doing that and had that modus operandi, if that was the case, this nation would be transformed. What is happening? The world is squeezing the church into its mold. What does God want? The church to shape society. Whose values are winning out? Christ's values, God's values, or Satan's values? Now, it's interesting the way the book of Acts ends. In a sense, it really doesn't have an ending. And I think this is probably because Paul was suddenly released. And who knows where, where, where Luke uh, ended up with him. We don't really re read here about his rearrest. We certainly don't read about him appearing before Nero. So to get the full story, as I believe it actually happened, we have to come next week. Well, that's a good thing, huh? Come next week and let's see Paul and Nero facing off. And let's see who is really victorious. The one who is victorious is always the one who is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that's where you are this morning. And if you are, then go out of this building. Like Isaiah, let your light shine. Say, here I am, Lord, send me. And don't worry if you're housebound and you're infirm and you're aged. Paul, as, as young as he was, I'm not sure how old he was at this time, but I doubt if he was much more than 60, was like an aged man. He had been beaten up by this world. And yet, this is the man that says, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much, so much for raising up people like Paul from being your enemy to being your champion, to being a tremendous inspiration for us. And most of all, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that anyone here this morning who will look to Jesus Christ can have their sins forgiven, can be declared righteous by God before they do any good works, and can live a life of fruitfulness for you. We believe Jesus will soon return, Lord. We want everybody, not just the people in this room, but everyone in our families, in our community, in our workplace, to be saved. So we dedicate ourselves to you, Lord, to finishing this work under your power, under your strength. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.